All right, welcome everyone to A Healthy Obsession, a podcast by Small Goal Soccer, covering all things football culture from around the world. My name's Adam Flowell, and today I had the pleasure of talking to Josh Warwick. Josh is one of the team over at Cult Kits, and for those of you that know me, know I love a football jersey, I am a collector, so this was definitely an interesting one for me, and I hope it is for you as well. So Cult Kits is a great website, they have thousands of vintage soccer jerseys um, in their inventory definitely worth checking out so listen to the show we're going to talk all things soccer jerseys today but also just kind of football culture at large as we always do so check the show out we're also going to be doing a giveaway here in the next couple of days for gift cards for cool kits as well so check back for that on our social media and we'll get into the show cheers Um, so about gosh, how long was it five years ago I think uh, me and a friend uh, we used to buy each other um, vintage football shirts for Christmas and birthdays and stuff um, and he's a David he's a graphic designer by by trade and I'm a journalist I was a journalist by trade as well um, and we sort of started to think about um, wouldn't it be quite nice to actually sort of put our skill set together and work on a project that um that we're both really passionate about and so football shirts seem to be the sort of obvious choice really um and then we met um and while we we're just t- talking about that um i was looking for a shirt for him actually for his birthday i think and um, we both switch town fans um and i found um so, so in my in my opinion the best Ipswich Town shirt was the one from about 93 to 95 I think it was it was an umbro one it was just gorgeous it had like a red drawstring collar um, white sleeves really really nice um, and I found it brand new with tags on eBay um, and I thought it's incredible and the, and the seller um, who is Rob who's the third part of the business now um, he'd also got this incredible um, like third, Ipswich Town third shirt from about 1991 that had only been worn about three times by the actual team again it had brand new tags I was like what the fuck this, this guy's got some unbelievable stock so I got in touch with him and said actually we've been talking about this project um, that we, we're sort of working on and we, we, we weren't quite sure what it was going to look like at the time we just sort of said you fancy coming on board and um, so he did and, and so that's how we sort of started out really and um, and we also bring something slightly different to the to the kind of table, I guess. So me being a former journalist, David is a graphic designer, Rob, who's just got a brilliant eye for um, for kind of photography, and also he's got this now built up this brilliant network of uh, sort of supply chain around the world as well. So um, uh, so yeah, that's the sort of origins of it. Really, we we tried to create something that um, that we all would enjoy if we were actually a website that we would enjoy visiting ourselves um and that's always been the sort of the kind of thing that's tried to the, the sort of thing that's guided us i guess um to try and make something that we would and we do enjoy ourselves so so that's sort of the history yeah interesting so and i remember that ipswich town because it was was that premiership days for ipswich town it was yeah it was yeah the inaugural premier league yeah when ipswich town were we're a top flight club, seems like many, many, well, it is many, many years ago now. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous shirt. I absolutely love it. I, I seem to remember, was it Richard Wright era? Was that was that before Richard Wright? That, was, that would have been Richard Wright sort of started to get in the team around 96. So ah, okay. yeah, 
the year we got so not far off yeah the year we got relegated Richard Wright was playing he was 17 at the time mm. um, and uh, yeah his son actually Harry's just signed a new contract with us he's the goalkeeper at Ipswich now uh, he signed a new contract with us yesterday funnily enough but uh, yeah it was uh, I mean that era for kits is just in my opinion the best anyway kind of late 80s early 90s you got so many gorgeous shirts and <clears throat> I'm a big massive Umbro fan from that era as well and so all, all those kits that inaugural Premier League I think about half the, the clubs had the kit made by Umbro and they were all really really nice and all quite different as well although you could tell they're all the sort of same manufacturer they all had a sort of slightly different feel which is um, which hasn't always been the case with you know, football shirt um, manufacturing in the last few years. That seems to be changing back again now, but you look back to the World Cups, recent World Cups and European Championships, a lot of the kits, particularly Nike, were very, um, were very sort of template-driven, uh, which was a bit of a shame, but hopefully that's changing now. So as far as like some of those brands have, have really made a bit of a comeback in the last few years, right? Like it seems like they were they were in 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Have you noticed that just in kits in general, it's kind of a, a cycle or is it, are people just going for more retro in general at the moment? Is that the trend? Um, I think, I think brands like Umbra, I mean, they had, a, if you look at their the business, aside from what they're actually producing with the business itself, it's gone through a bit of a, fairly kind of turbulent few years bought by Nike I think and then and then kind of cast aside as I understand it uh, and then it's sort of rediscovering itself now as a football brand and even a rugby brand I saw yesterday as well so to produce rugby stuff so I think with Umbro I think I think the fact that Umbro was so popular you know talking about the early 90s again or, or the 90s in general actually it was a great decade for football shirts Umbro were intrinsic to that and I think as we've, as in, in recent years, people have started to appreciate um, the classic shirts more. Umbra, a big part of that story. So I think, um, I think Umbra have been able, and they've done it very well, they've been able to tap into that, um, that kind of nostalgia and clamour um, for the stuff that they used to do back in the 90s. Um, I think Hummel's another example, a bit like that as well. You know, Hummel um, kind of disappeared a bit off the face of the earth for, for 10 or 15 years, and now people remembering what fantastic shirts they made. You know, you think of the Denmark and Coventry design. Um, um, and yeah, and, so, and, and as you say, there's a kind of um, uh, sort of move towards um, fans wanting the, the kind of older shirts now as well, which I completely understand. And um, we, we have our own podcast actually, which we just started. And we talked to Joe Dempsey, who's, um, <clears throat> he plays uh, Gendry in Game of Thrones, massive Nottingham Forest fan. Mm. And um, yeah, we spoke to him last week, and he was talking about um, uh, it's kind of like a status thing sometimes. <laughs> you go to a football ground, and you've got an older or a rarer, more vintage shirt than the guy next to you or the girl next to you. You know, who's perhaps got this season's kit or last season's kit? Is a sort of thing about making you more of a fan almost. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I, I get the sort of mentality behind it. You know, it's it's, it's kind of. Um, you know, proving your worth as a as a football supporter and a, f- a fan of your club. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a few things. You know, and I think the other thing is that, that um, football shirts now you get in, there's a new kit every season, new shirt every season. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to keep up, and and they're not cheap, obviously, as well. So, you, know, you could spend seventy quid on this season's shirt, um, or you could spend perhaps a little bit more on a kit from twenty years ago, but 
one that you'll be wearing for you know the next however many years as opposed to feeling like the shirt you bought this year is out of date next season yeah no and and some of it like like you said if you're especially if you're a family of you know two three kids that are all wanting like the new liverpool show or what, whatever the club is right i mean i could get spendy pretty quickly yeah yeah exactly yeah um <clears throat> i don't know how kind of into kids uh, how much kind of interest there is actually from sort of younger fans in terms of the older kits but um so yeah i don't know but yeah it is they're, they're, they're incredibly expensive and it you know it used to be i mean they've always been expensive haven't they? like when i don't know how old you are you know when i was a kid in the 90s your parents would always be worrying about the price of shirts and the fact that there's a new one every couple of years or whatever that's, that's just you know that's just like a sort of right passage for any, any kid yeah. kind of growing up True. i think um I think that, you know, now that they are every season, um, uh, yeah, I do. I think that's that's kind of been amplified a bit um, as well. So, yeah, a few, few sort of factors in it. Um, and I think, I think the other thing is, you know, fashion as well is, has been, over the last few years, has taken a fair few kind of, a fair bit of inspiration rather from, um, from 90s fashion as well. Mm. Um, and that's a Y2K thing as well. So, so all of that sort of taps into that that era for football shirts too, which um, which as I said before, for, for me that's the that is the era that it's just that it produced the best shirts, like a bit mad, and the colours were just crazy, and it was very kind of experimental, and and, um, and that's just it was just good fun really, wasn't it? The football shirts didn't take themselves quite so seriously as they seem to have had in re- have done in recent years. Um, but I think that's, uh, yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, I saw a picture the other day of, uh, I don't know if you, well, I'm sure you do because you're in the line of business, but one of those oversized Umbro tops, uh, the training. Yeah. Oh, I saw, so, I, I can't remember where I saw the picture, but that was like straight up nostalgia for me because I remember those. So hopefully they're doing a, a, a run of those because I, I would love to yeah. get one of those up again. Oh, yeah, they're always massive, aren't they? All the football shirts in are huge. Um, but yeah, all, yeah, yeah. But Umbro generally are big, big fans of Umbro. Yeah, is there any other brands you said Pommel? Is, is there any others that are kind of making a comeback, like Reebok, that kind of fell off during the last maybe decade or so that are making a bit more of a run at it? Yeah, um, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, it'd be nice to see someone like Fila come back, you know, because they made those brilliant Fiorentina shirts from. Yeah, the purple. Yeah, the class. Yeah. They're gorgeous one. They were the Nintendo sponsor. Mm. Um, you just imagine Bastia wearing those with a button top yeah. button up. They look so nice. But uh, um, uh, to be honest, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other brands from that era that are making a lot of mind anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. So is is there a a way that you guys are sourcing these kits. I know you mentioned that you, you had bought one originally on eBay. Is there a way that you, you've got to be doing a lot of volume? So is there a, a specific way that you're going looking for these and, and shopping them out? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? Because we're unlike most businesses where you actually, <clears throat> you manufacture your, your the products you sell. So you have a kind of control over how much you manufacture and, and the, the, the unit price. Obviously we have, you know, we negotiate prices with the people we buy from, but, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very different business proposition to to um, you know if we were making the stuff that we're selling ourselves. So um, yeah, the supply chain is just absolutely crucial. Um, and really, shirts come from kind of all over the world um, and from 
multitude of different sources. So we still do buy some stuff from eBay from time to time. Um, but obviously, as you said, in terms of volume, it's not easy to do, and it's not it's not the kind of most uh, you know. Um, it can, it can take a long time for not huge rewards um but we've yeah we, we buy from sellers from all over the world um and we also a lot of people contact us as well um perhaps if they've got old shirts that they don't want anymore or um that they've kind of stumbled across they forgot they had so they'll, they'll get in touch with us too so so they come from lots of different places really um i mean the key thing for us is that every shirt has to be you know we can't, cannot possibly have fakes that that is just that would just kill the business uh sorry i'm gonna close my um my outlook because it's keeps making noise um yeah so the big thing for us is making sure that every shirt is uh is authentic because as soon as you uh as soon as you you get that wrong you know our our uh our kind of audience our followers on social media and the people who buy from us are, are pretty well informed mm. um and um you know they would know as a, a buyer or somebody who spots a shirt that's not original would know straight away so we put a lot of time and effort because some of the fakes are so good i was going to say like some of the ones i've seen are, it's like night and day like previously now yeah. it's like you can't tell the difference so what are you looking for when you're looking for the difference between the knockoffs and the, the real deal yeah, there's lots of there are lots of kind of telltale signs. Um, some things you almost can't kind of um, explain, but you you get a feeling that a shirt doesn't seem quite right. I mean, there's some obvious things like the price in the first instance. Um, you know, if you if you stumble across a Holland, <clears throat> you know, uh, Euro eighty eight shirt, you know, the classic uh, that classic design. I saw someone selling it for thirty or forty quid the other day somewhere straight away that is 100% a fake because you will never be able to buy that shirt for that amount of money so that's price is the, the first thing that kind of should stand out then you get a, sometimes you just get a feel for the look of the shirt that does something doesn't quite add up and then you want to kind of dig into it a bit more i mean the condition of the shirt as well you can tell if something's usually you can tell if something's new so if it's if it's kind of uh um you know purporting to be from 20 years ago you know that something doesn't quite add up there um, there's things like the label as well, which will often kind of give it away a bit as well. So um, there's, there's a fair few kind of, there's lots of telltale signs, but um, you know, the, the crucial thing for us is that we always get it right because um, it's, it's so incredibly damaging to the business. I mean, we, we have, we've, we've bought plenty of stock. We've got a pile of it in the office of stuff that we bought thinking it was legit and then we get it and we realize it's not, and then we can't do anything with it. So that just stays in a kind of, a box in the increasingly big box in the in the office <laughs> like um, the co- cost of doing business box <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and, and you know that's just that's just what happens sometimes but um you know that authenticity is absolutely crucial to us yeah that no, makes sense and jumping back to the the brands real quick it is there like a licensing or of some of these whether it's uh like a feeler or have they spotted this trend and said you know what what why don't we rerun these jerseys and produce more of them if they're popular has that happened at all uh, where a big thing for you is supply and demand right so where where have the brands sort of said hey this is a trend let's jump back on this and and start reproducing yeah. these shirts again yeah, I mean, some of the brands are doing that already. Obviously, Adidas have done it quite recently with um, the Bruce Banana Arsenal shirt and the, that blue Manchester United shirt from the same era. Mm-hmm. And they've reproduced quite a lot of bench wear that went with it as well, which actually is really lovely. I'm, I'm not into the repro shirts, even if they're by the same, you know, the same manufacturer, because to me, 
it's just not the same personally that's my own view um you know fair enough if you want to buy them no worries but to me that's that's a different it's a different product to what we're kind of dealing in um but you know but the bench wear actually that they produce is really nice um arsenal fan but some of the arsenal stuff is just is lovely um umbra have done it as well we reproduced spurs and everton shirts from the kind of early 90s mm. they're really nice um um uh who else has oh we Admiral of, I think of, um, Admiral, Admiral Robert, uh, I think of are doing something similar actually, because obviously they were manufacturing England kit in the 70s at some point. Were they doing, um, did they do Leeds in the 80s or the 90s, was it? Uh, they did, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I think the, the issue with Brad, for brands like Admiral in terms of clubs is that the clubs have, would obviously have to agree to. Ah, uh, the licensing, yeah. Exactly, and they won't do that. Um, Everton for Umbro was fine because Umbro still make Everton's kit. It was an interesting one with Spurs though, actually, because um, Umbro weren't making Spurs the Spurs kit at the time it was Nike, and um, but they still went ahead and, and did the reproduction. So I don't quite know what the arrangement was there, but it, was, it seemed a bit strange to me. But yeah, so I think brands are definitely tapping into it. But Fila haven't, I haven't heard much from Fila at all recently, um, which is weird because their brand is really associated with that kind of late 90s early noughties um kind of era and not just football shirts but more generally in kind of you know uh, sort of uh, uh kind of fashion and, and um that, that kind of thing so i'm surprised perhaps they haven't tapped into it a bit more but um but yeah i think brands are definitely becoming aware of it and and particularly around the um you know the designs of the shirts now um you look back at the 2018 world cup Look at the Adidas shirts. They were all, um, you know, they were all they'd all taken inspiration from '90s kits. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the brands are definitely aware of it. Um, and um, so, yeah, some are some are sort of taking taking advantage of and getting on on the scene really. I guess it's a, the difference between what you described as like the cult following of collector and uh, someone that wants to buy vintage for the the reason of the authenticity versus someone that, like you said, it, it's fine. But if someone just wants to buy it because they like the shirt or it's you know maybe they're not a collector, is that probably the biggest difference between the like the brands rolling out en masse versus like the, the cult following of the retro football shirts? Um. Sorry, do you mean so the reproduction shirts? They're not really aimed at the kind of proper followers, uh, collectors. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's it's kind of garnered like a, a quite a cult following, wouldn't you say? Maybe it's been going on for a while, but specifically in the last few years. So those people would rather buy, like you said earlier, a, a collector's item style shirt versus just something that's been mass produced. Yeah, I think. I mean, so you know. For, the fans have fans have been the big football fans have been interested in football shirts for a long time. You know the oldest shirts for a long for a long time, way beyond this the current kind of trend for football fashion and um, of football shirts. <clears throat> um, so yeah, there's always been a big interest in it. I think is, there's a lot more there's not not more kind of knowledge about um, um, football shirt sellers and the companies you can go to now because. It's become such a because of the, the kind of wider um, sort of cultural interest in it at the moment. Um, so yeah, the, the repro shirts I think are for people who are perhaps are yeah, they might be football fans or might just quite like the look of the shirt and like the fact that it's um, 
you know, it's pretty in vogue at the moment, or has been definitely. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of proper collectors, I think, would, I can't imagine they would, they would want to buy those those reproductions personally. Um, because it's, it's more than just owning the shirts, it's also buying a piece of the sort of history and um, it sounds a bit pretentious, I suppose, but it's, it's, there's, there's kind of a bit more emotional connection to, to something that actually is of the time and is, you know, a genuine kind of, a, a, the genuine shirt, the authentic shirt from that era. Yeah, and and some I saw on your site, I, I think they were formerly players, is that correct? You're getting players, match-worn shirts as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we get some players contacting us as well. Um who perhaps have got shirts from their playing days that they even no longer want or, you know, would put to sell. Um, so, yeah, we'll get players contacting us with match worn shirts as well. I mean, that, that does bring around, bring about some other <clears throat> issues for us um, because we have to, we, you know, we, I mean, hope, hopefully people know we're a trusted retailer as well, but when it comes to match worn or match player issues, the other one, um, you know, or sign shirts. It's just it, it adds a, a layer of complexity in terms of you know the, the proving that they're they're genuine. Um, so it does create a bit of a headache sometimes. But obviously, the you know they're, they're worth more and they're they're really lovely things as well. You know, some of those the, the match more shirts to, to own. You know, something that's that's um, a genuine piece of footballing history. I, I totally get the appeal of that. Definitely. And what was the uh, like? Is the one that you've come across from a player where it just like maybe you one thought I've got to hold on to this one. I can't. We we can't put this on the the website for sale. We've got to hang on to it because it's just a like a wow moment. Like this is brilliant. Um, do you know what? I, I, in terms of player issue shirts, they haven't been. I, I don't kind of get that. That personally, I don't get that same kind of um, feeling just because it's a it's a player. It's been match worn. I'm more into the those shirts that we get that you know we had like a long sleeve um, Holland 1988 shirt that came in the other day, which we're going to keep. I think um, that that kind of stuff. Those the kind of the rarer shirts or the, the sort of rarer versions. So the fact that it was long sleeve as well of those classic shirts to me are the ones that I think well we've got to keep at least one of those in the collection. Um, <clears throat> so they're the ones. Um, that I, we we sort of sometimes have a bit of debate, have a bit of a debate about whether to keep or not, and then um, then we make a decision. Usually we do keep them because <laughs> some of them you just you just think I'm never going to see this shirt again. Right. Um, it's just and it's a thing of absolute beauty. So we should just try and keep it for as long as we possibly can. So um, yeah, there's a fair few on the office wall or or kind of locked away that we just think we have to keep this for the collection. And we're also looking to do some exhibitions and. Um, uh, and, and things like that in the coming future as well. So, you know, we want that kind of back catalogue of, of absolute vintage classics and those stories, that, those shirts have a bit of a story as well. You know, the ones that um, that, that kind of have the story behind them. Are you thinking, I'm thinking of things like the um, the famous Fiorentina shirt that had the uh, accidental swastika in the design. Those kind of shirts that actually, you know, they're a piece of sort of football history that, um, you know, they're more than just a football shirt. They actually... Uh, they have a story behind them. Well, they have some kind of emotional um, attachment that, that that make them more than just um, something you might just put on and go down the pub in. Yeah, no, definitely. And what are the like so, so some of the ones that I've seen on the the site are like really 
sort of specific North American football shirts. I, I think uh, they, they were like yeah. ones. That, so that to me, from I think from the Nazal days, right? Um, yeah, we, yeah, they were. That was a weird batch of shirts, actually. When we got, they came in about six seven months ago. <coughs> we found somebody contact. I think somebody contacted us um, to say they got this, this incredible um, um, batch of shirts from from what is it, the late seventies. Yeah, yeah, and they're so yeah. yeah, like George Bass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And loads of clubs who don't exist anymore, and uh, they're great. They're really, they're really unusual as well. You don't see many shirts from that era really because they weren't really mass produced at that time it's only really the 80s 80s onwards west and probably mid 80s as well where you, you see shirts produced on on mass or certainly in in decent quantities so it's unusual to see shirts from that era but um, they're great and they're, you know really um kind of striking colors and great design and, and very different to anything that we saw in europe at, at that time as well so um yeah like those a lot and as far as North America goes, like I notice a lot of people around in taking more interest in modern kits more so than retro kits. Are you seeing quite a lot of interest from from the side of the pond for, as far as the, the retro kits go? Yeah, loads actually. Yeah, mm. a, a heck of a lot. Um, I'd say probably after the UK, after UK, maybe kind of France and Italy. After that, um, I would say. US is probably our biggest market, um, and there seems to be like a real interest. I, th- I don't know if it's because obviously you've got MLS is twenty five years old now, um, and you know seems to be certainly uh, as far as we can tell from over here, it seems to be doing really well and thriving. And there's you know a lot more interest in in the MLS in the UK now than I can ever remember. Um, but it is only twenty five years old, and I guess. If you're a big football fan, soccer fan, um, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, actually, about sort of proving your worth as a fan as well. And I think, um, you know, if you can get hold of a shirt from kind of 30 years ago, 35 years ago or whatever, um, from a, you know, an English first division club or whatever, or a Serie A club, you know, Napoli or something like that, it's just it kind of elevates your status a bit and it kind of makes... You know, it's a, it is a, yeah, it's a, it's sort of. There's like crazy, a bit of really, a bit of one-upmanship yeah. going on. A little, a little bit, yeah. But also, just proves that you are really genuinely interested in, yeah, and you have an understanding, a broader understanding, and a, a historical understanding of um, of the game and of the clubs and shirts that were really special from from that era. So, um, so yeah, so I think that's what's. I think you know, obviously. For, as I understand it, football in America, soccer in America is really is a sport that's growing very quickly, which is great. Um, and, um, and, you know, with that, an increasing fan base. And it seems to be that there's a kind of, it seems like there's a that kind of ultras culture in America as well, which is um, quite interesting to see. And I guess a lot of, a lot of that is about, um, you know, that authenticity point. And, and so I think if you can, you know, if you can, um, you, can sort of tap into kind of getting into this sort of older football shirt market. I, I totally understand that. So I think that's probably what's driving it. And um, yeah, along that continue. It's almost comparable to like one thing that's big in the US and glo- well, globally as well is as collecting uh, trainers, right? Sneaker sneakerheads. Yeah. So it's like kind of comparable to that, right? Like it's if like yeah. you're, in, you're collecting and you're you're part of it, and you always want to get the whether it's vintage or a, a release of something that's coming out that's like the, the, the supply is low, right? But the demand's high. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, most of the products on our website, we have one or two of, you know, some we have a few more of, but generally that's the case. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And and actually, we're talking to, so for our podcast, our next podcast, we're talking to a guy called Neil Hurd, who is, um, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he's a, it's interesting you talked about the comparison of trainers because he um, he's written two books and one is uh, about trainers and one is about football shirts and well, he might have written more than that but he, yeah he, the two that we we know him for and um, massive massive trainer fan just addicted to trainers and similarly with football shirts as well um, and uh, yeah he had a brilliant exhibition actually a couple of years ago in London um, and uh, of football shirts and it was it was really good. Um, but he's, uh, but yeah, similar thing I imagine with him as well is that, you know, it's that, um, yeah, the rarer the better. <clears throat> and, and again, with his exhibition actually has some shirts that were, you know, not necessarily in bigger clubs, but they just, um, they had a, a sort of a story behind them, which made them, you know, elevated them from just being a, a really gorgeous looking football shirt to something a bit more. Um, so yeah, no, I think you're right. Both the comparison of trainers and, and football shirts is definitely, it's, it's definitely there. Yeah, no doubt. And as far as the, you mentioned there earlier about doing some ex- exhibitions, is that something that's uh, going to be happening a little bit more frequently? Is Have you guys done one before? Or is that something that's going to be new for the company? We have done some small stuff previously, but we're, yeah, we'd like to do something a bit bigger. I mean, we had some we had plans that have obviously been shelved now or postponed now for, the Euro, for this summer's European Championships um, in London. So um hopefully that will happen next summer now that's the plan anyway but and we really want to close to the states actually we've nearly came over to do something with um new york city mm. um that hasn't happened unfortunately but hopefully that might happen again in the future which was um, a really nice idea um, um again it was, it was about tapping into the fact that the mls is you know it's, it's still a pretty young league but it's uh, but it's it was sort of trying to um I don't. Want to, I better not give too much away about this actually, because I'd probably get in trouble. But uh, it was about. It was about. Thinking, we were discussing around. You know, thinking. Um, it was sort of about thinking about what the MLS would have been like if it was a bit older than it is, basically. But anyway, um, so hopefully we can come over to to America because I think we're really interested in sort of developing football culture in America. It's just. Um, you know, we can we can go into Europe and South America, obviously, and there's. You know, football is such an established sport that you know that's 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 what that'd be great to do. It'd be great to do something in in, in England as well. But um, I just think that the sort of the way that football culture is growing in America is just something that's really different, really interesting, and really exciting. So yeah, we're, we're desperate to come over at some point. When you mentioned that the age of the league and it's it's almost like a, a blank canvas in in the US, whereas the rest of the world, it's the leagues are a hundred years old plus, and yeah. the football clubs are a hundred years old plus, and here it's still so new, and everyone's sort of establishing identity. You've seen that last season with LAFC. Yeah. You've got some really cool stuff going on into Miami now with Beckham, which is you know really it's branded really well, and they've got some cool designs going on. So it's like it's there, it's bubbling, and it's it's growing and growing but yeah it's, it's more like a blank canvas versus Europe yeah. or South America where things are more well established yes yeah, that's exactly right and it feels like um, particularly the kind of fan culture is, is sort of cherry picking the bits it likes from from Europe and South America particularly um, which I quite like actually just sort of taking a start looking around and thinking yeah I quite like 
quite like the idea of having a sort of vultures section in the stadium. So let's do that um, and and everything else that's, that's happening. So yeah, it's um, it's just really interesting to watch. And um, I've never been to an MLS game, but I, I like to a lot because I'm just uh, yeah intrigued by it. It's just interesting to see it develop. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to sort of tap into that if we yeah. can. There's there's a few teams that are doing doing it really well. LAFC, um, Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta United, are, are, they're getting seventy thousand plus a game. Unbelievable, yeah, that's Man. just incredible. Yeah, I mean, even when I moved over, they, there was that wasn't happening. Maybe one team, maybe Seattle, or you know, they, there was one or two teams, and now it's like the majority of the league. It's people are buying into it and getting not only involved with the, watching the match. Now they're getting involved, as you mentioned, with the the ultra culture of part of football, the the clothing, the music and everything else that's surrounding the game versus, you know, just watching the match on ESPN or whatever it is. Yeah. Just on At- Atlanta, how have, they, how have they done it? What's the model? Is it, Are they doing something different or how have they attracted that many people? Yeah, I think just from what I've seen with the teams that have done it successfully, they do one thing, they all do one thing really well, and that's get into the community and grassroots engagement. The, the yeah. unique thing that these teams have got going on for them is they know that they're going to be having a team maybe two or three years before they're going to have a team. So yeah. you saw LAFC and Atlanta United and, and now into Miami are doing it, where they're going into the community two or three years before, and they're doing a bunch of really good grassroots stuff in the community and getting people right. on board and bought in that way, letting them have some uh, ownership around the experience and the culture that the, the team's going to establish, which yeah. I think teams previously didn't do that. It was way more of a, a corporate entity just pushing out another brand, whereas this yeah. is like, look, we need to get people bought in. And Atlanta did that extremely well. I mean, they, and LA, yeah. LA as well, just they just got in there and, and got way ahead of the game so that when the team did come about, it was like turning a key. Like, here we go. We've yeah. got this. We've established our identity already. And a lot of these yeah. towns, a lot of these towns, people, they're proud to be from there, right? It's kind of similar yeah. to what you just described with European and, and from my experience, UK football culture where it's like you're from uh, Ipswich or you have some uh, heritage of supporting Ipswich. Well, you support Ipswich and that's, a, and that's your team and you're from whichever part of the world, that's your team, you support them. And that's happening here now where American sports is not as common. So it's happening way more here. And Atlanta just did an amazing job of that. I was going yeah, to ask, is it, is it a sort of, um, uh, sort of an, uh, antidote to the kind of um, the, uh, what's it called? What's, it, what's, it, what's the system in America that you have in terms of basketball and like draft uh, system? Yeah, but the, oh, the the way the team can move from one city to, to another, oh, like, like the franchise model. Yeah. Franchise, franchise is the way I was thinking. Yeah, sorry. Um, is it a sort of antidote to that kind of franchise system? Because I think I don't know if you what you think about this, but as a a European or as a, an Englishman, I can't get my head around a franchise moving to another city and then people there supporting that team. I just, it makes no sense to me. I mean, we had it in this, in the UK with MK Dons, Wimbledon becoming a team mm. called MK Dons, relocating 50 miles away. And that, I mean, MK, people still hate MK Dons, whether you supported Wimbledon or not, people hate MK Dons for what it stands for. Um, 
And so, so I find it really hard to get my head around the franchise thing. And it sounds like what you just described in terms of MLS clubs tapping into, not tapping into, sorry, integrating properly into the community and bringing people with them seems like the opposite to that. Yeah, it is the opposite. And ironically, you're seeing some of those other sports copy and engage with fans the way that American soccer clubs are because they've seen how well it works for the soccer clubs. But right, but yeah, right. it's, it's, I think it's just one of those things where it's normal for teams to move here. So it's just widely accepted. I mean, it's ha- been happening yeah. for, for years and years. So it's, it's normally, it's more widely accepted. But yeah, I mean, when I first moved over, it's, it baffled me. I'm like, what, what do you mean yeah. your team's moving to the other side of the country? <laughs> like <that's, laughs> yeah. But, but here, here the, the match going experience is sort of for everyone. And then, you know, well, I, I live in LA and my team's in St. Louis, where I can watch on TV. Whereas for us, it's like the match going experience is important if you're a fan and live locally. And, and it is here, here too, but it's more of a show here. It's like, oh, you yeah. get to go and, you go, go and watch a game. And I, I go watch an NFL game with a few mates and maybe none of us support the team, but it's like the day out, right? And, and going yeah. to and enjoying the match. And I, I think that's like the, Ra- the Raiders is the big one at the moment because the Raiders in the NFL have got some of the most diehard supporters I've ever seen in any sport. They are nuts. They are very passionate. They're into it. It's the most comparable I've ever seen of a supporters group for another sport compared to our football, to soccer. And they're moving their team. They've moved a bunch of times, but now they're moving again from Oakland to Las Vegas. And while that's not, it's not a million miles away, it's still a, a fair old hike. Like you're not going there flying down every weekend for a match. So that, no, that, that was a yeah. shocking one to me that there's a few yeah. NFL teams that got some of those diehard fans where it's like, yeah, if you, you move in my team, I'd be, I'd be pretty upset about it. Yeah. And I do think that the whole kind of ultras thing that, you, that, um, that you're seeing in the MLS now, um, that feels like very much more akin to the European model of, supporting a team you know the kind of intrinsic loyalty to the team as opposed to anything else you know that overrides the the joy of going to watch a football match it's about you support that team and that you know you're you're part of the team you're part of the club uh, much more like it is in in the UK and Europe Um, that feels to me like sorry say again I said definitely, yeah. No, that's that, yeah. that's that's one hundred percent accurate. And and a lot of these yeah. these supporters groups here have got social missions as well. They're like social clubs. Well, not like they are social clubs where they're doing community work, they're doing charity work, and it's you know very accepting of all different people. And it's yeah. it's interesting to see that unfold. That's that's definitely jumped on, like you said, it's taken from uh, European and South American football supporter culture mm. as well. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty good to see. Yeah, so, so as far as the, the, the shirts go, uh, the kits go, what are the, the best sellers that you've had? That have, have, what, what have you seen the most as far as uh, um, sellers go? Yeah, the popular stuff is, I mean, it's pretty kind of as you think, imagine really. I mean, Premier League, uh, Syria, um, particularly in, I guess, La Liga. Um, and then, I mean, Syria, actually, a lot of people have a fondness for Syria in in England, you might remember this, you know, Channel 4, ago, we, Channel 4, yeah, we used to have football on Channel 4, it was the only football you get on terrestrial TV, was, was Italian football, yeah, and you get it, you get the Gazetta show on a Saturday, which was great, James Richardson, he's obviously amazing. Well, and how good, how good <laughs> was the league get, then as well, with the players they had in the league, I mean, it was a oh, go- yeah, golden yeah. era of stuff. 
Exactly. It was the best league in the world. I mean, to be fair, the football was pretty awful to watch because it was so unbelievably defensive. But That's still, you still, yeah, you, you still, you still get to watch. You know, the best players in the world. And it was a game on a Sunday, and um, it was the only football on TV. So we, there's a sort of generation of, of people who grew up really with a sort of fondness for for Italian clubs. You know, I actually posted something on on Twitter earlier about. Um, clubs you sort of have a fondness for just because you like the kits and for me it's Fiorentina always you know you just I mentioned Fiorentina kit from the feeler one earlier um it's just good lovely lovely shirts I mean, the, the, the purple is just such an unusual color and they've just had some brilliant kits over the years um and yeah so there's a I think there's a real sort of generation of people who've got real fondness for for um Serie A clubs um from from sort of 90s um um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's obviously the, the sort of classics that everyone is sort of most people are familiar with, which are like Germany 1990, <clears throat> um, the show that won the World Cup in Italia, uh, Italia 90, with the, uh, the the flag kind of creeping up the shirts. Obviously, a real is a real classic. Um, actually, the England shirt from that year as well is, is always very popular. Um, actually, USA 94 had some fantastic shirts um mainly from adidas there was some really quite an unusual design or it was quite a break from the past was that nigeria was the nigeria top of that tournament was that uh, adidas was. yeah that was that was, that was from that was from that tournament yeah that's a great shirt isn't it yeah and then you had like the argentina shirt from there's two argentina shirts the, the home and the sort of blue bluey kind of purple away shirt mm. from that tournament both gorgeous Always sells really well. Italy with uh, the, Italy had the big white collar in that tournament as well, but the Baggio like the the penalty miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Brazil shirt, obviously the shirt that won the tournament, um, made by Umbro, which was you know a sort of shirt manufacturer from Manchester making. It's really weird actually. It always struck me as weird, but making the shirt of the world champions, you know, and such it was such a kind of exotic team as well. Um, at that time with Romario and Bebeto um, and, uh, and they were, they were wearing the Sunbro shirt which is, an, is a gorgeous shirt too so they had um, like the crest like but it was bleeding into the background right like the the Brazilian yeah. club crest that was amazing yeah that's right yeah really nice kits um, so I'd say yeah yeah the classics from the 90s always are always really popular obviously they tend to be relatively expensive because they're older now and mm. um they're hard to get their hands. People don't want to sell them either. So, um, um, but yeah, there's some kind of weird ones as well um, that you perhaps that perhaps can sell quite well that you don't always expect. Usually, the ones that have just got a sort of a slightly stranger design, um, you know, they just stand out a bit, or they were just and often, you know, often a, a sort of a, an iconic shirt becomes an iconic shirt because of something that happened in it um, not necessarily just the shirt is gorgeous you know it might be it's often related to a player or um, you know a kind of um, a moment or an achievement I was, I was writing something I, we'd um, write something on kits for these football times <clears throat> which is a magazine um, and the, the next episode the next story the next issue is on Real Madrid and um so we were writing with the Piquet shirts and then um, an illustrator creates this illustration of the H shirts and then we write something about each of those shirts and, and kind of why they're, why they're important. And um, there was one which was the, um, I think it's the 2002-3 shirt, was it? Um, it's like the, 
plain kind of white Adidas, no sponsor. It was a centenary shirt, I think it's white, had no sponsor. Quite a big kind of white collar. Mm. And, you know, it's a, it's a nice shirt. It's nice that it doesn't have a sponsor. But the, the, the thing that makes it special is that it was a shirt that Zidane wore when he scored the incredible volley against Leverkusen oh, in the yeah. Champions League final. And straight away, you know what shirt that is now, don't you? Like, I, I could describe it for ages. You think, I think I know what it is. But as soon as I say that goal, you know what shirt that is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, that's what, you know, most of the time, the best shirts have, they, they mean something. They've got an emotional connection, and that's why we why we love them. They're, they're obviously aesthetically pleasing as well. But the thing that elevates them to a different status is um, usually that you know something happened in them, um, and uh, or or you know actually in the case of the Arsenal, the Arsenal Bruce Banana shirt, it's obviously become it's become one of those cult classics. Um, actually, Arsenal were pretty shit back then. Sorry, can I swear? Yeah, that's fine. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal were pretty shit back then. Um, it was a sort of the end of the George Graham, towards the end of the George Graham era. They uh, offside trap. Yeah, exactly. They're boring to watch. The two years I think they had it, they finished something like fifth. And um, sorry, two years they had it, they finished something like fifth and tenth or something in the league. Mm. And they won a couple of FA Cups, but whatever. And they also wore it um, in an FA Cup match when they lost. So it was the it must have been 92, I think it was. 91, 92, possibly. And the year before they won the league, mm-hmm. and they played an FA Cup match against Wrexham. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the year previous, Wrexham had finished bottom of the fourth division, so the lowest place in, in English professional football. But they couldn't get relegated because the team who'd won the, the league below, the, what was then the Vauxhall Conference, couldn't get promoted because the ground wasn't up to standard. Or something right. like that. Yeah. So basically, they played each other in the FA Cup, so the best team from the previous season, the best professional team versus the worst professional team, and as you, you know, as you, anyone listening would expect, Wrexham obviously beat Arsenal two one, and Arsenal were wearing that Brisbane shirt. So basically, that shirt should not be a classic because it's, it's it was a pretty miserable period in Arsenal's history. They didn't win either FA Cups while they were wearing it, um, FA Cup or League Cup, or that. Um, and but obviously the design was so weird and different. And it sort of set the tone really for kit design um, for the next probably next decade. Mm. Um, so that's why it's important. So there's, that doesn't have a connection to a moment or anything. But usually, usually a great kit or a special kit that people, you know, really kind of hanker after has got um, has got that emotional connection. And there's a damn one is is a great example. So fine shirt, it's fine, it's fine, it's inoffensive. Um, <laughs> but it's got no sponsors, great. But as soon as you know. As soon as you remember that goal and that moment, it sort of has a, it carries a different meaning. That's probably a, a good way to finish up is by telling us your favourite three. Oh gosh, right, okay. Uh, favourite three, oh, crikey, let me think about this. Um, well, I have to, I'd have to pick, I'd pick the feeler away shirt. Feeler, I can't remember exactly what year. It must have been around 95, 96, maybe 97. Um, the feeler away Fiorentina shirt which was white with purple trim um, just because it's just gorgeous. And all I can think about is Bat Stewart wearing it and just looking incredible. That, so that, that, that colour as well, the slight yeah, shade of purple colour. was amazing. Yes, it's just such a great... Oh, I love that shirt. Um, what else? I'd have to go with... Because I'm an Ipswich fan, I'm going to have to pick an Ipswich shirt. So I'm going to have to go with the 
the third shirt I mentioned earlier, which they had, they almost never wore. I think they wore it twice or three times or something in one season, uh, which was like the 91, it's like 91, 92 third shirt. And it's white and I've got it still with the tags and I'll never wear it it just sits in a plastic box um but it's just got this, this kind of slightly odd like umbro sort of design graphic on the sleeve and um I just love it just because it's just really rare and uh, yeah just it, and it's my club as well and it's umbro and I just think it's great uh the third one I need to pick something a bit weird for this don't I um do you know what we got this is a bit of a, a, bit of a random choice but actually because it was so different and um, because I'm I'm a big fan of the um, sort of renaissance of women's football at the moment mm. um, it's fantastic obviously in America it's been you know American women's football in America is ahead far ahead of European uh, the European game and you know huge kudos to to Americans for that but I think the the France the last France uh, World Cup shirt with it was white with the um, polka dots um, just such a brilliant shirt it's just so I've never well personally never seen a football shirt with polka dots on it before um, just completely random choice like random design um, but it's just it's just a great looking shirt and the, the, the shorts and the socks that go with it just are superb too so um, yeah I'm going to go with that would be my third choice and and just what I've got to know now what your thoughts are. Like, what are three disasters? Like, what are three that you've seen where it's just like, oh no, they they shouldn't have bothered. Okay, three but really bad shirts. Um, that's a tricky, difficult question. This because often the sort of worst shirts, you know, like the Breeze Banana, for example, at the time yeah. was, was everyone hated it. Everyone took the mick out of it, but it's sort of become a classic, hasn't it? And and you think beyond that, further Coventry City, for example, had this brown kit in the late 70s I think it was late 70s early 80s that just was so awful but yeah you sort of have a, a fondness for it now because it's so bad um three terrible shirts what would, your, what would yours be it's, it's like you said there's some at the time where you, you've looked at it and thought that is an absolute disaster and now it's like I'd yeah. wear that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah Ah, you see, like, like, like Man United had that grey shirt in the mid-90s and at the time when I saw that, yeah. that is awful. And I think, yeah. I think I've got it now. I've got it as a gift. Uh, you know, yeah, I, exactly. That's, a, that's another great example, isn't it, of those kits at the time. You thought, what is this? And, and but, but that's got such a story behind it, hasn't it, that shirt? You know, the, the, the game they lost, they got smashed at Southampton, changed it at halftime and they still lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just got, it's a great, it's a, they, you've got to love that shirt for that story alone. I think, I say, uh, this is quite a boring answer really, but I think I'd pick the sort of, like the last decade that we've had, I mean, by the last two years where shirts to designers have started to become a bit more adventurous again. I think we had this period of about eight or 10 years where football kits were just really, really boring. Um, yeah it was like it was just like logo one color yeah, yeah it was yeah, it was terrible yeah. exactly those kind of template shirts that were just every club particularly i mean not having a pop in nike because nike produced some beautiful shirts and obviously the you know the nigeria shirt at the last world cup was just fantastic mm. um but they did go to that era of just producing a lot of shirts that were very similar but just different color mm. um so i can't really i'm struggling to think of three 
that really stand out from that. Era. I don't know. I, I don't know if you I don't know if you remember this one. The LA Galaxy had one. I think it was mid. I want to say mid two thousands. It was just shocking. It was like dark green with yellow, like almost like slashes on the sleeves. That one wasn't great. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that actually. Yeah. Actually, there was a. I don't know if this is a. If this is kind of becoming a, a sort of modern day classic. But that Germany away shirt from about twenty sixteen was it? Twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen was like. Yeah. Olive green. I was never a fan of that. I didn't really get that at all. And a lot of people really like it, and I know it's becoming more popular. I've seen people posting about it on social media a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I just one of those kids. I just thought, oh, those colours, no, not right. So I'm, I'm struggling a bit here. Just so, I, so the the, less, the lesson is there's beauty in the ugliness. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Perhaps in about ten or fifteen years, I'll love that shirt. But um, yeah, my, but yeah. So for me. I'm struggling to pick three individual shirts. But all I would say is those kind of non, uh, you know, the bland kits that all look sort of the same, but just got different badges and a slightly different shade of whatever colour it was. No time for those at all. And they were, and I don't think it, it doesn't matter how many years pass. But I think people will never look back on that those those kits with any kind of fondness unless the team wants something in them. Um, yeah, I just think they're just so instantly forgettable. And I think, you know, now, as we were saying earlier, the fact that clubs will change, change their shirts now every year. Um, you know, it used to be that you look back at a kit and you could, it's two seasons worth of sort of memories that are invested in it. And now it's only one. So those, those kits have almost got to do even more. They've got to be even more special in their own right because they've only got, you know, they're only associated with one season now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so I think the, uh, the pressure is on kit designers even more than ever actually um to uh, to make those shirts stand out i hope they do that yeah no 100 so before we finish where can people find out a bit more about cult kits what's the the website the instagram and anywhere else people can get involved yeah so the website is cultkits.com c-u-l-t-k-i-t-s.com um and we're on instagram at cult kits um same with twitter um, you can also find us on Facebook as well and TikTok too although I don't know how you find us on TikTok because I'm too old for that but we're there <laughs> alright everyone that's it the end of today's show is full time and we'd like to say a big thank you to Josh and the Cult Kits crew for coming on it was definitely a pleasure be sure to tune in next week we've got the weekly show on tuesday with me and tommy and then thursday we've got another quality interview coming out also make sure you follow us on social media we're going to be giving away two gift cards for cold kits so you can go get yourself a fresh jersey that is going to be posted on our social media a healthy underscore obsession so you can go and get yourself a nice gift card thanks again for being part of the community and tuning in and we'll catch you all next week Cheers.